welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. I want to talk to you about something just wonderful this morning. Something that God has given us in this cause. Something that is just so beautiful in the cause we live for. That I want to share it with you that it would excite you and exhort you and encourage you and if you're familiar with what I'm going to say that it would come fresh and if you've never heard it before that it would come with life and freshness as well because we live for this cause and in that cause this is what God has given us to do and it is wonderful hallelujah I'll tell you about that shortly right now stay in that peace take a seat and as you do Claire's going to come because she wants to give you an update on the prayer room vision upstairs hallelujah Isaiah 43 scripture we know really well but in the message it always makes it come a bit fresh to us doesn't it verse 19 says Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. And I don't know about you, but it feels like we are in a new season. It feels like we're stepping into a new place. Every Sunday feels like we're, we're stepping into that new place, doesn't it? And Sometimes it feels like a bit of a jigsaw and you've got to pull the bits from different places. You know, if you don't, um, if you're not able to make it on a Thursday night, I encourage you to listen to some of the podcasts when they get put up on the website because they're part of the jigsaw of what God's doing. And this scripture says, be alert. And sometimes we need to be alert to see what the new thing that God is doing. And I know that the prayer room is part of that. It's one of the tools that God is giving us to step into that new place to step into that new season is something new of itself, but it's also a springboard that God's going to use in order for what Pastor Paul was just saying to springboard us into action, which will springboard us into more prayer, which will springboard us into more action. And we'll start to see the things that God has been promising us and that we've been praying for and believing for for so long. So the great news is that we are ready to go. Yay. So, um, we, our first kind of corporate thing, if you like, is Tuesday morning. And then from there on in, thanks Olive, from there on in, um, you've got a calendar. I'm not going to do this every month, but what I wanted was for us all to have something in our hands so we can start to look and say, okay, God, what do you want me to get involved in? What are the things that you want me to do? Um, and at the bottom on the front, it also tells you how you can access booking it for individual times. I'm sure you're going to have loads of questions, but I'm sure I can answer some of them and the rest of them will work out as we go along. Um, bear with us as we kind of muddle through these first few weeks and see what God's saying, see what you guys want to do. We've had to kind of put some things out there and things, nothing is set in stone. I've got at least five or six people who have got things that they want to do. If you're looking at it and thinking, well, there isn't really anything in any evenings and I work, there will be. It's just that we're going to drip feed things in and we're not going to put everything in on day one because we'll all just go, ah, I can't do this. But in March, there'll be some other things. 
But if you've got something, then bring it. So really this morning, I just want to encourage you to, when you go home today, just say to God, what is it that you want me to do? We don't want to do more than he asks us to do because we can burn out. And we don't want to do less than he asks us to do. But we want to hear what God is saying for us. And, you know, if we all gave one hour a week, we could fill that place for daytime hours. So just think about the things that God might want you to be involved in, whether you want to be, you know, book it for an individual session or a couple of you to go and pray. If you don't do computers at all, please come and see me. I will make it, make sure that you've got information, um, but you need to come and see me and let me know so that I can make it work for everybody. So come and see me afterwards if you've got questions. Tuesday morning, 8.30 is the first just time of encountering God and worshipping him. Be great to see anybody there and be great to see you during the week. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, that's, that's a brilliant new development in our life, isn't it? It's going to fuel the fire. Yeah? How are you going to be involved? I mean, the problem with us guys is there's so much to be involved, but then isn't that our life? <laughs> it, I know it sounds funny and you'll probably, maybe some of you might even roll your eyes a bit, but, you know, doesn't it sometimes feel like uh, church gets in the way of our lives? But have you ever thought that really lives gets in the way of church? Because us as the people of God is our lives and everything else actually is the addition of what God has given us and how we are living. That's not meant to say we shouldn't take wonderful holidays and enjoy ourselves, but that is part of God's life. You know, that's not to say we shouldn't be running businesses or working hard in the, in the jobs that God has given us uh, or whatever we're doing, because that is part of our life together. But uh, sometimes it feels like people feel that church gets in the way of their life. No, life gets in the way of being the body of Christ. Hallelujah. We need to make sure we are living with God. And prayer is fundamental to, un- uh, to, uh, to part of everything, really, of, of what we are and what we do. It's the Lord's Prayer expanded. It fuels, it enables, it equips. It's powerful. And it will be behind what we have as, as the cause that we're living for. Where am I taking that this morning? I want to look at a small part of it, and I'll reveal more of that as we, as we just go on. Um, so that it, that's coming up, but... These are wonderful times. I was speaking to Pastor Clive on Friday. Uh, He rang me, and the first thing he wanted to talk to me about was what God is saying over us as kingdom faith, and he said, and what God had said to him specifically about kingdom faith Yorkshire. They'd been having 21 days of uh, fasting as they do at this time of year in in Horsham, and this is the things that God has said, but out of that... They are convinced uh, that we are coming into an unprecedented time, something that hasn't been seen before, that means. We, he's saying, he says at the moment it's almost impossible to imagine because there's no map for what we're going to be doing. Uh, he talks of it being a new dispensation, a new era, a new dispensation of God in terms of what God is doing across nations, but also our call in the middle of all of that. And, he, and then he said, but one of the things that, was, uh, that really stood out for him was how God had shown that in Yorkshire, we have been specifically positioned for this in the, fa- in the fact that we have uh, 
many friends and connections and within the local community. You know, they're not, I'm not talking about just uh, the people in the church, but the whole neighborhood. There's so many connections in place. And Pastor Clive was saying that God was showing him that that was for what he wanted to do because the connections, the friendships, the strengths were there. And uh, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's what we've been wanting for. That's what we're believing. So it was nice to hear it coming back from a, another direction. That uh, our desire and our, our passion in all of this, uh, in what we do, all the different things we do, is always about making connections with people. You know I love the story of Jesus sitting next to the woman at the well. I, I'm passionate about that story because it's so anti what the religious people of his day thought he should do. They didn't think he should go anywhere near the town. He shouldn't have even been in the country, let alone in the town. But he goes to the country which they rejected over religious differences. How sad, how wrong, how terrible is it when we won't go near people because of our religious beliefs. Jesus goes to everyone. Can you think of anybody in the world who because of their religious beliefs Jesus doesn't love and want to see saved? Or whatever their beliefs are. It says that God loved the world. There were no restrictions on that. And so he shouldn't have gone to that town. He went to the country and then he goes to the town. The people were saying, don't go to the country, Jesus. Jesus goes to the country of Samaria. Well, okay, if you're in, the, if you're in Samaria, don't go to the town. That town, Sikar. In English, it means the town of lying and drunkenness. Doesn't sound like the place you want to go, but may well sound like a lot of towns in our nation already. I don't know. But Jesus goes there. And he walks into this town. Don't go to that town. Okay, you've gone to the town. Okay, Jesus. Well, if you're going to go to the town, just look like a decent teacher, will you? Just look like a rabbi. You know? Keep apart. Keep from away from the unclean people that are in this town of lying and drunkenness and everything else that goes with that. So Jesus sits down next to the well and talks to someone. Uh, it's like, okay, if you're going to talk to them, you know in our culture, Jesus, you know how we are. You are a teacher, you are a man, you do not talk to women. So he sat next to a woman. Okay, he's going to talk to the women. Well, at least talk to the religious women, the ones that attend the synagogue. You know, they are the faithful ones, Lord. So he sits next to a woman who's out in the middle of the day getting water because her life in the eyes of her neighbours is so shameful that even in the town of lying and drunkenness, her standards are bad. That's the woman he decides to talk to. Well, give her a track to move on, Jesus. Give her a little leaflet about what it means to know the Lord and get out of there. So he decides to put himself in her debt in their culture and says, could you get me a drink of water? This is the Lord God sitting next to a woman who is ashamed in a town of shame and asking her to do something for him. How incredible is that? Have you ever wondered, could God use me? That thinking comes from a religious thinking. God wants to use every person. He wants to be intimately involved in their lives, regardless of what others think. 
And it leads to a conversation where she comes to know or has a revelation of who he is and she's so excited about it, she forgets her shame. Because you do when you really get to know Jesus. You forget all the shame of your past. It just, it's just, it just leaves you. You realize it doesn't matter anymore. It's being dealt with in Jesus. And she goes to that town that had rejected her and starts telling them about Jesus. And the amazing thing is that they listen. She actually becomes the first evangelist in the Bible. And she goes to her town of Sychar and then... So many people come and want to listen to what Jesus has to say. It says he stays there for three days in this place that none of the religious people would have approved him of going to. It was an amazing thing of connection. I have a favorite verse in the Bible. I don't know if you're really allowed to have favorite verses, um, but it's one that's always meant a lot to me. It was one that was given to me when I first became a Christian, and I was, uh, I was at university, and I still give it probably just about anybody who I'm privileged with to pray with who's saying I want to give my life to Jesus. Because to me, it's fundamental to being who you're going to be in, in Jesus. And it's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you knew it already because you know me so well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone becomes a Christian, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, What's the ending? Anyone know? It's one of those verses. I'll read it to you from here, completely. It goes into verse 18. But uh, this is slightly different, because this is not the version I memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God. All this is from God. He wants everyone to live in the newness. That newness of life. There are no exceptions. He doesn't look at some people and think they're too dirty. I'm not having anything to do with them. I am holy after all and I don't want to get some dirt on me. Holiness overcomes darkness. We normally like to think of light overcoming darkness. That's a better picture. The darkness doesn't snuff out light ever. No matter how dark the room gets, it can't out-dark a candle. And the room might be really, really, really dark, but you can walk in with a tiny little torch, bang, the light's on. The light can't, stop it, stop it, stop it, not having it. It's the same in the world in that way as it is spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about you can get involved in foolishness and be taken off and go in a route turning away from God. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But there's no, we don't need to be afraid of darkness. So Jesus went to Sychar. He wasn't afraid of the sin and the darkness and what was going on in that town. He walked right on in there because he was the light. And Jesus says to us as the church, this cause, you are the light. Don't hold it, hide it under a bowl. Don't think you're just going to be the light by having a great prayer room. Because that's up there and it's hidden. Something has to spill out from that prayer room you have to have the prayer, but it's supposed to spill out. You can't hide it. We are a city, a community. And Jesus said, stick the community, the city, on the hill so everyone can see. Why? Because this is the picture of God that the world can see. It's all he's got. 
There's no plan B because the church ain't so good. There's only plan A because the church is brilliant. And that's us and all the other brothers and sisters in all the other flavours across the land. But at each local church, Jesus is there. It's still his body. It's his local representation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to have more than one person. Deborah is not church. Because church has to be people. Church has to be relationship. Because God is not God unless he is the persons of God. Even God himself is in relationship with one another. One God, three persons. Not separate individuals. They are so unified that the three persons are one God. They're not three persons like these three persons sat here. They're in perfect unity. But even still, this one body of all these people is a picture of God in heaven. And the picture of a community is a community that is connecting with people so that they will listen. Jesus went to Sychar so that the woman would have the opportunity to listen to him. He didn't say to her, send a messenger, come to the temple and maybe I'll have a word with you. He went. He engaged where she was at. And where she was at was in the hot noonday under the eyes of shame, getting water all by herself from a well because her community, her shameful community, or a community full of shame, had rejected her and made her an object of shame. I don't know about you, but I think it's a wonderful cause to, to know that, like Jesus, we're called to meet with people caught. <coughs> Maybe it's their own, you could say it's their own fault. And there is always a measure of ownership of what's gone wrong, and that's why we repent and change our minds and say, I do want your way. But often when the world is a world of sin, so we get caught up in what others do to us. So we may think that person is terrible for what they're doing, but you don't know what they've been through. Who knows, if you'd been through what they've been through, you might be a lot worse. And that's why we can't judge. We don't know what their situation is like. And even when we do know what it's like, we're even worse if we try and judge. Because we don't know what goes on in their head. Maybe you've just been blessed with an ability to cope better than them. Well, that's a blessing and a gift that you thank God for, not judge that other person. This is the cause we live for right here in the Bible, in this passage around Corinthians. Therefore, says Paul. In other words, he's saying, so this is important in the light of everything I'm saying. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. I don't know how many of you have been baptised. Being baptised is near on one of the most amazing things that you can do. And I'm not talking about um, an act of being sprinkled as a baby. I'm talking about the way people are baptised in the Bible by being immersed in water. The whole thing about being immersed in water, and it might put you off being baptised if you haven't yet, is it's a picture of you dying. Sometimes we joke, but it might hold that person under a long time. But it is just a joke. 
But it's a grave. When we, we usually go down to the seafront, uh, you'll be pleased to know, usually August rather than January, and baptise in the sea, which obviously is like the sea in January in many parts of our world. But um, well, anyway, we still do it. And we go, because it's wonderful. It's just like being outdoors. I love it. And people come to watch. It's a great place. I was baptised in a Baptist church that we'd taken over for the afternoon in a, in a little pool at the front that did look like a grave. But I'd still be rather baptised in the sea. It did. It looked like an open grave at the front of the church. It had wonderful little vents at the top of the water to stop it getting damp. But as it was January, it meant there was a howling gale going right across the top of the water. <laughs> But anyway, but you go down into the water to show that that old creation, that old you, is going to die, or has died in Christ. And then the people, if they're kind, bring you back up out of the water. And it's showing that like Christ was dead and rose to new life, we were singing about it, we were praying about it, so you are now a new creation. I mean, in the same way I was speaking the other week, the person that dies is an individual. It's an unconnected person. Now, of course, individuals have friends and family. They do have people they relate to, and friends and family influence us for good and for not so good sometimes. (laughs) But when you rise from that grave, the new creation that you are is a person. The individual tends to be defined in terms of the world in what has been done to you or what you've done or the possessions you have or how uh, beautiful you are or how ugly you are. That is what is you. But when you rise up out of the grave, the the individual's still on the bottom. You're now a person. And a person is far more special than an individual because the person is going to be who God created you to be, set free from the shame and the sickness, and the definition of what others have put upon you. You know, the teachers that told you that you were stupid. Or the teachers that told you were intelligence, and you now feel you can never live up to it. It can work both ways. It's what others have spoken. But when you rise out of the pool, what others have spoken over you, all the negativity is left at the bottom of the pool, along with your sin. It's gone. The old creation is gone. And so now you're in the new person. You put on the new person, as Brian was talking about last week. You think, oh no, I'm not like that anymore. I'm going to put on what the wardrobe God's given me. There's no point getting back in the pool again. And and that's what's being demonstrated in baptism. There's a resurrection taking place. Who's Who's being resurrected? The person. But the person... It's like the persons of God. Now, nobody's going to tell me that each person of God doesn't know who they are. The Father is very secure in the Father's identity. The Son is very secure in the Son's identity. The Spirit is secure in who He is. But they make one God. They are defined by the relationship they have together. You can't be a father without a son. You can't be a son without a father. And the spirit is the very breath of them. The intimacy that holds them together. And we've talked about before. One of my favorite pictures of, the, of, of that. It's, it's not like some of those old paintings of three people sort of sitting there looking slightly solemn. It's a constant dynamic. It said that God the Father sent the son into the world. 
And he went around the world. Then he sent the Spirit into the world. There's a constant movement. God is constantly engaging with different people all over the place. And in their own relationship, there's this constant movement. It's like a dance, a divine dance. It's not a divine dance. They're not really dancing. But it's like joining a dance. A dance is a good picture because it's more like one of those sort of things... When, when a country dancing, I, I sometimes think, because there's all this passing along and moving around and trying to remember what you're supposed to be doing and crashing into one another. I don't think the crashing into one another is supposed to happen. Ask Jossie, he's Scottish, he knows Kayleigh's. And he's good at them, because he knows all the steps. <laughs> but when you come up, you're a new person. Not define what the other person say about you, but you discover who you fully are, so you come out of the grave. Death to the old individual. Hello to the person that you are. And you put on the new designer clothes that God has given you, that we talked about last week. And this happens, this becoming this connected person, not, of course, just with the people around you, but connected with God himself. We're now defined by our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so, this all goes on, this divine dance, this picture of what's going on in baptism, because what occurred... When mankind, humankind fell, was a separation. When humankind was first on their own, as it were, what had happened was there was a, become a disconnection from God. It wasn't that they still didn't know about him. It wasn't that some weren't friends with God, like Abraham. But there was a disconnection that had been lost. In the garden, the story of Adam and Eve... When Adam and Eve have sinned, God comes, as it says, walking, looking for them. He's not really looking for them in a sense because he knows where they are. Hiding behind a bush doesn't cut it with the creator of the universe. He knows where they are. And in fact, in the Hebrew, when he cries out, where are you? The, the Hebrew is conveying, oh, woe is me. That's God speaking. Because he'd lost the connection with humankind. And the Bible is the whole story of God making a way for that reconnection. There had to be the opportunity for separation. There has to be the freedom to decide, I don't want God, even today. Because love cannot control and manipulate. Once it goes to manipulation and control and getting what you want, it's no longer love. And God is love. We can't if you want to know what God can't do, he can't do that. He can't control and manipulate you. He could, I suppose, but he chooses not to and never will. Because he gave his creation, us, the freedom so that we could love back, so that there could be a true connection, intimate connection. And when you come up out of the baptismal pool, you are demonstrating you're now that new person who can be freely connected with God. And Jesus went to the woman in Sychar to show that she could be reconnected with God. And it was everything that she'd done, it wasn't that it didn't matter. It mattered so much that Jesus was going to go to 
to a cross and die. It matters. It's not that it doesn't matter. It matters hugely. Of course it does. But he was showing her that it was dealt with. I don't know how he spoke to her. I don't know what revelation she had because at that point he hadn't died. But she got something that was so powerful it affected a whole town. In, uh, in church tradition, she carried on in Jesus and she was a, uh, an, a, a, a continued as an evangelist. Uh, we, in church Eastern tradition, which dates back really, really early, there's no reason to doubt it might not be correct, she has children from those different marriages that she's been through, and they're, they're named. And she has the most unlikely Greek name of Phototini. I've never met anybody called Phototini. <laughs> and she carried on she, uh, and died in Rome. That's not in the Bible, but it's an interesting addition that's probably true. It's just a little anecdotal story, but we need to quickly move on. So you, the person, is resurrected. We've been looking a lot at, the, uh, at John coming into the room with the disciples and saying to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity sending us. As the Father has sent Jesus and as the Father has sent the Son, he now sends us. So the cause that we live for is the cause that Jesus died for. To see people reconciled to God. To see them come back into that relationship with God. That is ultimately what we live for. The connection was broken in Eden. The connection was opened up again completely in Jesus. The first man, Adam, fell. The second Adam, Jesus, did not fall. But went to the cross for every other human being. Because he was, of course, fully human and fully God at that point. The other great commission is much better known, the one in Matthew 28. Let me read it to you. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Of course, because God is Trinity. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the Greek, it then says, Amen. Amen. But all authority, he says, all authority, all power, all freedom, all right, all liberty is given to me to do something. That's what it means. And now he has said, everything I've just taught you, you to go and do. So we have been given authority under God, all authority, all right, all power, all freedom, to do exactly the same thing. Very often people, it's been emphasized, go and make disciples. In Greek, make is the central verb. It's all about making. And there are three other verbs that hang off it. Go, teach, and baptize. Make disciples as you go. Make disciples, teach them. Make disciples, baptize them. So that they come into the relationship that he's been demonstrating with them, that he's just had with the disciples. But I want to encourage you with a verse that's very rarely read out with the Great Commission. It is an amazing verse. It's a fantastic verse. Let me tell you, you might not think it when I read it. That's verse 18 says, I've come to you with all authority. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
You think, that's a good verse? It's fabulous. Don't you ever doubt? <laughs> These are the apostles. The disciples, as was, they're moving into apostleship. The risen Jesus is with them. And in the presence of Jesus, as they worship him, they're about to be given the great commission that's going to see the church established worldwide. But some doubted. Do you know, to me, that's just fabulous. Because I know I can be part of it. If you've never doubted, you must be Jesus. There are things that come into our lives that, yeah, they make us doubt. It's not that we want to doubt. It's not that it's okay to doubt. It's not that we should celebrate the doubt. I'm not doing that at all. I'm just saying, I know that even when I doubt, I can still be part of the Great Commission. I still am part of the Great Commission. In the face of that doubt, Jesus didn't say, you three, you're doubting. If you leave, you can't be part of this. He knows. He knows what goes on in all of us. He knows how we doubt ourselves. And he knows how we doubt him. Because ultimately, doubting ourselves is doubting God. Because you don't believe God can use you. You don't believe God has done enough to help you overcome. You don't believe God has paid the price to set you free. It's, 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 a, it's a doubt. It's a, a lack of faith in God. I mean, doubt is usually fleeting and it comes and goes. Whereas complete unbelief is, I'm not having anything to do with that. We're not talking about complete unbelief. Doubt is just, sometimes it's so hard to believe. God, help me overcome my unbelief. I want to be strong in you. I don't, that's why I love that verse, right before the Great Commission. I won't ask you to put your hands up, anybody in the room that's doubted, just in case you feel embarrassed. Oh no, let's do it. Who's doubted? <laughs> now take a look around, do you feel encouraged? Because there's some super guys amongst that lot. <laughs> yeah, put your hands down. What an unusual hand raise. <laughs> oh, come on, I just, I just want to quickly now go through this, uh, this passage in, in Corinthians that... The, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, is set in. Because where people can go off into weird doctrines and believe in strange things, is it usually means they've taken one little isolated verse and removed it from everything else that's around it, and now they're going on that one. I mean, after all, you can read in the Bible, St. <laughs> Paul saying, I wish they'd castrate themselves. That doesn't sound very godly. And there's not a good application from it, gentlemen. Because he's talking to gentlemen at this particular point. You can look it up another time, but it is there. But when you know the context of it, he's just expressing frustration of all the people that want to carry on with circumcision. He literally says, these people that keep going on about circumcision, I wish they'd just go the whole damn way. No, he doesn't say damn. <laughs> He's just a little bit frustrated there. <laughs> That's the Bible. It's showing the humanity of people. I take it out of context and you're in trouble. Jesus said, cut your hand off. Okay, off we go. What? You need to put it in the context and see what he's going on about. And in that particular case, you even have to understand the culture. Because the culture was one where if you were making a point, you made a point. You didn't just say, stop sinning. You made the case for it. That was, if he didn't do that, they would have thought he wasn't serious. Because that was how they were thinking. That's how they thought. Anyway, 
We'll leave that. That's not what we're doing. But let's have a look at the context then. If you've got an NIV, uh, in, two, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you've even got the subheading, subheading. Do you know how you get little headings, usually in italics? And when you see that, you may not have realized, but that's not in the Bible. I know it's in your Bible, but it's not in the original text. It's what publishers add to give you help and understanding. Sometimes they're really bad because the the subheading might not really be what the fullness of what God's saying and it can misdirect you. But I particularly like this one because this is our cause. This, This little heading here says the Ministry of Reconciliation. So let's just have a quick read through. This is our cause to see people reconnected to God. This was the cause of Jesus, to see people reconnected to, to God. This was the cause, and the ongoing cause of all of us, is to see people's lives changed and the kingdom of God come. Because the kingdom of God is not sort of some remote concept. It's people following him and releasing the power and authority of that kingdom here on earth. It's people going to Sikar. It's people sitting down next to People that they might be criticised for sitting down next to. Hmm. Let's have a look. Since we know, this is Paul in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That means to be in awe of how amazing he is. Okay? We try to persuade others. How many of you tried to persuade this week? Sometimes people say you can just let it happen. There's a place to sit next to people and ask for a drink of water. And then there's a place when the drink of water has been handed and you see Jesus gently, in his case, in this case, trying to persuade this woman, which he does very successfully. There is still intelligence in Christianity. Your mind is renewed, not removed. (coughs) It's good to think. It's good to understand. It's not good to have lots of knowledge so you're just puffed up. But it is good to understand. So, to persuade others. It means to win favour with them, literally, which is a nicer way of putting it, really, isn't it? To win them over, to gain favour, to convince them. You don't want somebody to give their lives to Jesus because they like the colour of your shirt. Because you'll probably change it, and if you don't, we'll be advising that you do. You, know, you want them to come to Jesus because they know what they're doing. They won't fully know what they're doing. Nobody does. It's like when you say to your, I used to say to Dan when he was on the stairs, jump, Dan. Don't do it now because I'll be flat. But you say, jump, Dan, and he would jump from the step into your arms. He thinks you're going to catch him. He's pretty sure, but he doesn't know. He can't possibly, no, 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 because he hasn't done it. So he would leap. And of course, because he would Dan and he'd done it before, he'd go up another step. And we'd do it again. But it's always like that when God asks you to do something. It's time to jump. Yeah. And you, you know what God's like, so you kind of know he's going to catch you. But there's always that element of, is he going to catch me this time? Will I learn through the experience of falling on the floor? <laughs> of course he's going to catch you. He's your father. He's not going to let you crash to the ground. So, 
We know what it is to persuade others. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Sometimes the only way you can convince others is to show them. Because they are so not listening. I'm not saying you don't get to listening. You want to get to the place where someone is open to listen. But very often they are so shut. I spoke to a guy last night when I was playing at the the games conference that's been on here this weekend. And he was I'd been playing a game with him. And and his girlfriend, and another guy. And he said, I can't believe I'm in this church. <laughs> he said, I, I, said, he said I, I would never have come here. He said, I was persuaded by my friends that, you know, they were okay. <laughs> they were all right. You know, because we're different. We can be afraid of them, too. You know, they look different. They, they believe different things, and they do some things we think, I don't want to do that. But they look at us and they think, they do different things. I don't want to do that. Someone's got to make the first move to connect. Because what's in the middle is fear. And the enemy loves fear because it enables you to remain completely and utterly disconnected. And sitting down and saying, will you play a game? Or would you like to play a game? It's like sitting at the well and saying, can I have a glass of water? He sh- Jesus should not have been served by that woman. You see? Even in the eyes of most of the world around him, what he was doing was pretty low. Pretty messed up for a so-called holy man prophet. Even the disciples wondered what on earth he was up to. But he wanted to connect. And he knew she wasn't going to listen unless she first could see and listen by what was going on. And can you imagine the volumes it spoke to her that he did sit next to her and talk to her. That's reconciliation. It's connection. For Let's read on, because I want to finish real soon. Um, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. Well, I hope so. By the lives we live, it's a, it's a message in itself. And I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you, uh, you an opportunity to take pride in us. Oh, that's an unusual phrase in the Bible. We could be proud of other people's ministries. I'll leave that with you. Um, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Oh, I see. Do you? Have a think about that one. I'm not talking on that. If we are out of our mind, as some say, oh yeah, I've noticed people say that about Christians. <laughs> You had it said to you? I certainly have. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. I've got to find new ways to connect. I want people to know. Doesn't it feel so frustrating when you know people around you, in your street even, you just... I just I want the opportunity for them to have the opportunity themselves to see Jesus as he really is. And I look for different ways to connect. I remember once we had a mince pies and wine thing at our old house where you could actually fit people in, in our street. Because it was a way of connecting with that street. 
Say, serving alcohol to preach the gospel. Yeah. It wasn't getting drunk to preach the gospel. Christ's love compels us because as his death gives us life, we're no longer living just for ourselves, Paul's saying. We're no longer an individual just doing our own little thing. We are a person in relation to one another. We are the body together. And he died, that's Jesus Paul's talking about, and Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And what is living for Jesus? It's not just about sitting at home and praying and reading your Bible, though it is that. It's also about gathering together and meeting together and serving one another. It certainly is that. If there's no gathering together, there's nothing for someone to gather with you. But it's also looking for ways to connect or see people reconciled. You see, most of the time, Mike and I get on really well. (laughs) Occasionally, we might fall out. If it stays that we're fought out, there is a sadness in a broken friendship. You want to see it restored, don't you? If any of you have had great friends in your life, life's journey and you're now separated for them, there's an element of sadness in that. You, you want reconciliation, don't you? Imagine how that was for God and how much he wants reconciliation. And he's definitely made the first move. Dying on a cross is pretty big first move. Although the first move was actually making them close as they left the garden, Adam and Eve. For Christ's love compels us He was risen for us. Verse 16. Let's go there. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. A worldly point of view can say that an individual is insignificant or of no economic value. But when you know their persons, you know that Christ died for them. That's why the church view of people is so powerful for all people everywhere. Because it says every single person who is alive, is of infinite value. They may look of no value to the world. That's why you find that so many charities and uh, ways of helping people, they very often were founded by Christians wanting to make a difference, just as our own street angels was founded by Christians wanting to help the vulnerable. So from now on, we regard no one as a worldly point of view. Though we even once regarded Christ in this way, you know, irrelevant, not important, he's a guy that probably lived 2,000 years ago. Why would I be bothered? We know how much more than that he is. But an awful lot of people don't. Though we once regard Christ in this way, therefore, oh, that's the therefore. So what's the therefore referring to? It's referring to everything that I've just said that we have this ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, because we exist and live to see people reconnected with God and with each other, therefore, know that this is what makes it all happen. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the very ministry that Jesus come is now the cause he's given to us. And the cause we have is a ministry of reconciliation. 
Jesus went to the people that hated him. Because he wanted reconciliation with himself, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And for those people to be reconciled to each other. His passion for the situation in, the, in, the, in Israel is for Israel and the nations, the people of those nations, to be reconciled to each other in God. God doesn't delight in Israeli and Palestinian hating one another. He seeks reconciliation because hatred of fellow human beings is a complete denial of actually the fact that God is love. It's not how God wants his people to live. And you can hear me say that and think, oh, God doesn't want his people to live like that. You can hear it as a command. God doesn't want his people to live like that. Or you can hear it as it truly is. God doesn't want that because he wants the best. So many people think that his love is commands when it's the cry of his heart. So, what's the ministry of reconciliation look like? Well, he gives the example of God, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So let's not look at people's sins and count it against them. whether it's one another or anyone. They're a despicable person. No, they're not. They're a treasure. Look for a way to connect. It might be that what they're involved in is is horrendous, but they are still, as an individual person, precious. It's just that sin ruins everything. And it doesn't even just ruin the person, because often sin means you hurt others. It's it's horrible, it's violent, it's nasty, it's disgusting. It spoils what God gave. But there's only one way for it to change. Reconciliation to God and to one another. Nearly there. Are you living for this cause? Hmm. (laughs) I suppose I did throw it in on an off cuff. I'll try it again, shall I? Are you living for this cause? Yes. We are. Not counting people's sins against them. And he, and he, God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. How are you getting the message out? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know what ambassadors do? They go to other nations. They mix with the others. They might be terrified of going to some cultures, worldly ambassadors. We might be terrified of mixing with some cultures that are around us. But we are still Christ's ambassadors. And a Christ ambassador should look like what they represent. So we should be like Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, says Paul, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's why... As it, it, when it says here, he does not count people's sins against them. Because if he was counting people's sins against them at that moment, he wouldn't be able to make the step and go forward in reconciliation. Yeah. All right? God knows what's wrong. God knows what's going on. And he steps forward into that situation. But often the person that's stepping forward is us. To meet with them. In their home, on common ground, or even in our home. It doesn't matter. Where there is an effective connection point. God himself was crucified by Romans. 
They were far, far away from God. They were so unclean and so holy in, in, in Jewish understanding. And yet God himself allowed Romans, the unclean, to do the work of nailing him to the cross, which was going to be the ultimate act of our salvation. Have you ever thought that some of the most unclean, the guys that swore, gambled under the cross beneath him, some, of, some really rough guys that were probably murderers and ki- certainly killers, were the very guys that were nailing the Son of God to the cross, which would enable us, us, our salvation. If there was ever a time for sin to infect the holy, it must be when you're banging a nail through the hand of the Son of God. But darkness cannot overcome the light. And in fact, Jesus would pray, forgive them. Because he would not allow the sin to be the reason at that point for disconnection. Because he was about to make the reconnection available. Don't be afraid of what the enemy's doing, even when they're nailing you to a cross. Know that God's will will be done, even when it doesn't look like this is the right thing. I can't believe... Any of the disciples thought, this is a great idea of God's. And yet it was the crux of everything. We implore you, be reconciled to God. And this very last bit in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers. The NASB says, says it really brilliantly. I like it better, actually. It says, and working together with him. You get more of the concept. Paul's not just saying, we're his co-workers. He's saying, us all together. I think that's a bit more clear in that one. Us, all of us together, are God's co-workers. No exceptions. All of us. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, now in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. That was the four. He's quoting the Old Testament, Paul, there. What's the time? This time now in history? This time for you personally? It's the time of God's favour. What's the time of, what's the day, what's, what time is it for you in terms of the day of salvation? Well, if you don't yet know Jesus, the day of favour and the day of salvation is now because you're hearing about it. It's this moment. Don't leave without responding that it's for you because it is for you, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done or not done or had done to you. It's for you. It's for reconciliation with God. So... Last wrap-up bit. <laughs> we join that dance. But not as inferiors. Not that some are really good at it and some are not. Because we're all unique persons that make one amazing dance together. Someone dancing on their own can look impressive. But when you see a whole group of people all moving in perfect synchronization, it's one of those things that makes you go... Wow. Well, that's us. We are dancing in synchronization. The best you've ever seen. 
Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.